Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bussell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them. Not as experts, but just as two filmmakers trying to figure it all out for ourselves. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, last time you guys talked to me, I was um, in L.A. And now I'm yeah. here. <laughs> now you're back in Oakland. Good old Oakland. What were you shooting for the past two days? Oh, corporate video crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> no no offense to whoever it. hired me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like just live this dream in LA, hanging out with filmmakers, and you come back and you have to go to corporate videos. Yeah, all you're doing is talking. About, I'm just talking about my movie all day, and um, all of a sudden, it's like yeah. no one gives a shit about your movie anymore. And even just the general conversation, it was so much more technical focused. Like, you know, at lunch, everybody wants to talk about cameras and technical specs and stuff. And I'm like, what? who cares about the camera what are you shooting <laughs> that's care. so funny it's like, it was just so funny because you know for a whole week plus or whatever it's like everybody you talk to wants to talk about movies or is there for their movie and yeah. so you're either asking about people's projects and hearing about them or talking about your own and it was so much fun just to be around all these like-minded people and then as like your job basically is to go and talk to you about your movie to people it's like i don't know it was just like a fun thing to be doing um for Auric, it could be like this all the time I, all you have I to know. do is move to la i know there's people in coffee shops talking about movies yeah i mean there's people in that in a line <laughs> for the movies to, watch, to, to talk about movies right no it's pretty crazy because i in addition to going to the market i was like making as many coffee and dinner dates and lunch dates as I could in between. Yeah. So I was like not only going to the conference every day, but I mean, most days I um, would go out of Santa Monica to go, go have dinner with somebody afterwards or someone would come in to meet me. So I met a lot of really awesome people um, That's for, so cool. for the first time in person, like Lucas Colshaw, who listens. We yeah. had coffee, which was awesome. I saw a Kellerman again, which was great. I met Hassan, who was on the show for the first time in person. Um, that was really fun. Um, and then a couple other people, Spence McCall, who is a Bay Area guy who moved to L.A. like a year plus ago. I had met him once like a million years ago, but like for like 30 seconds. And so we had a beer and sat down. That was cool. Reed Shusterman, listener of the show. Lionel Kahn, listener of the show. Rebecca Ahn, who's a producer here. She's actually been bouncing around the country, but she was there. I never, I think I met her in person maybe once before, but we hung out. Jason Ragosta, filmmaker in Oakland, never met him before, met him down there. <laughs> You're falling into the Academy Awards speech territory. It's just crazy. To, I mean, I could go on forever. Everyone. Like, I met so many yeah. people. But the thing that is... It makes you feel more like a filmmaker, though, right? I mean, it's just nice to talk to people who love doing what you're doing, you know? And, uh, like, I, I, there was a bunch of people who it didn't work out to meet. And, like, if I had stayed, like, another day or two, like, I would have met with them, too, like... I was going to see uh, the Just Shoot It guys, maybe, or Oren, at least, again, which was would have been fun. And then I was an actor friend of mine that I couldn't connect with, who we kept on trying to connect, but our schedules just didn't align. And then I got connected with some other guy who works at, at some movie studio, kind of randomly, and like we were going to meet, and then we couldn't. And it's just like, geez, if I just stayed, I would have kept on meeting more people. <laughs> and it's kind of <laughs> like a bummer to be like, oh... I can't meet new people anymore or I can't, I mean, I can, there's people here, but like, you know, it's, it's just not the same. I actually am going to meet a filmmaker, a director of a, a movie called Lasso, which is like a, a, a Western horror movie. 
who's local here. So I'm going to meet him next week, I think, because um, we didn't really get a chance to connect there because he was so busy promoting his movie. But but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just uh, it was really fun. I had more fun in L.A. these this, this last trip than ever. And yeah, That's great. it was cool, man. Um, yeah. Anyways, enough about me. We've heard, talked about me so much. I want to hear about what's going <laughs> on with you. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a similar situation to you where it's like I had a very good run of directing since pretty much july or maybe may even march and um yeah but i mean in terms of like kind of balancing my day job and like working through the advertising agency because yeah i did i did the music video earlier this year but i was really doing that on the side like after hours um yeah but you gotta count that man i mean that's an awesome music yeah totally totally it was a good year and i did so direct hired to direct three projects this year probably bid and treated on close to seven um in different stages so next year i want to do more i want to at least increase it by one more project maybe two more projects so four to five is the goal next year. yeah four to five is my goal i think that's easily um, doable i think so yeah i just have to find the balance at work because like our right now at work i got handed a job to produce and so i feel like i took a step back a little bit it's like oh man i i really felt like i was a director this year and now i'm like i'm back to back to producing (laughs) but the job i'm really excited about the job that i'm about to produce and i really hope it happens because if it does i would be going to korea to shoot it oh cool man and there's a lot of pieces of it that are things that i want to do personally as a filmmaker as a as a director so I think I would learn a lot by doing it. Not only just the experience of going to Korea, but also just the production itself. So it's pretty exciting. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to go to work this morning and go figure it nice, out. Nice, man. Well, that's, that is a really great feeling to have um, excitement yeah. over um, what you mm-hmm. have to do in order to get paid. I think that's uh, that's always just an amazing feeling. So that's kind of like the main thing with me. Um, I did do I did have some screenings of the Spirit Machine over the past month. That there's two of them. There's one the Albany Film Festival put on an event at the library. Um, Go Albany! Was <laughs> I it used like to live there? <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, I think it was like a week before Halloween. I want to say. So they had two horror films that they brought in. They played them, and then me and the other filmmaker. Uh, did a Q&A session and there's probably like I don't know 12 to 15 people there and then I screened it last weekend in San Francisco at the another hole in the head film festival and there's probably around 20 people there Um, but both times because I really thought that when I put it on YouTube earlier this year that I would never have to watch it again (laughs) so (laughs) it was kind of hard to have to go and sit in a theater and watch it again and it got really emotional especially in the second screening the first screening less so because i think the q a went really well and then right afterwards i went out with my coworker and one of the organizers of the event and had dinner and got to talk some more so i kind of got it out but i was like all alone at uh, another hole in the head and so i i went there alone i watched my movie alone there was a really awkward Q and a, and then I left alone and I just felt so devastated and so defeated. And for the listeners, I texted Ulrich and I said, the screening is over. There were about 20 people in the audience. My movie is just as bad as I remember. How embarrassing. I want to crawl in a hole and die. I hate myself and I want to quit filmmaking at this very moment. 
Yeah, which I thought was a little over dramatic. Uh, <laughs> I was so upset. I was like, "What did I they was just was it was there it. no audience response? Like, I mean, what was the why was it so bad?" It's just it's in my own head. I mean, you said it. It's all in my head. And it's like I I know logically I need to separate my ego from that film and just kind of like use it as a learning experience, but I'm having a really hard time doing that. And like the anytime that I see it or not anytime, but a lot of times when I see it, I just, I'm just sitting there and I, I'm hitting myself. I like every mistake that I see. I'm like, why did I do that? That is so dumb, man. I suck. This movie sucks. And I just, I'm just like constantly just t- talking myself down rather than being like, well, that could have been better. Or next time I do it this way and using it as a positive thing. Um, I'm really using it as a negative thing to tear myself down. Right. And I'm having a hard time not doing that. It's really hard as a filmmaker. I mean, th- this is not an experience that you have alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I, I uh, So when I first did Strange Thing and I had, I yeah. you know, screened at like, you know, 20 something festivals, um, you know, on its festival run. And I went to as many as I could. But like, uh, like the first three to four screenings were, were all like that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it was like, you know, you try to take the good with, with the bad, but it's it's just really hard to watch your work on screen and watch it with a group of people, you know? And I remember the first time I like was like closing my eyes when it was even just like the friends and family screening. But then that screening went really well because they always go well. And, um, and that was like gave me some confidence. And then when I was in Boston... I mean, my God, it was terrible. And then, like, hearing people talk about your movie afterwards while, like, you're in the audience and you they don't know that you're the <laughs> filmmaker. I yeah. mean, gosh, that's hard. And then, like, people congratulating you, but, like, backwards kind of congratulations. Because th- that crowd there, that sci-fi crowd is rough, man. They are really hardcore, and they do not hold back. Um, What's and, a backwards congratulations sound like? Like, um... Oh yeah, I really love the hand. You really nailed that like creature feature like 1940s thing with that. Yeah, I will never forget that comment, and that that's what made me cut the hand from the movie. I was that's like, because that's not what you were intending. No, I was trying yeah. to make it scary and creepy. Yeah, and you know, so I just you're being congratulated on an aesthetic that you didn't choose. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that. People should totally say what they think, but. Gosh, it's so, it's hard to hear sometimes. And so I remember like watching these screenings and it was like only at like the fifth or sixth or seventh. It's like you, you, you're dreading it because you're like, oh, it's going to have to watch it again and see all the problems and everything. And oh, it's not going to be as good as all the other movies and all that stuff. And then at some point you just like, you know, you start to see like, oh, it's not so bad. Oh yeah, that worked out okay. Like, ah, oh, it's not terrible. It's better than that other movie that we saw. It's all right. But then like it just goes in waves and then other screenings, it's terrible and it's really hard. And I just think it's something that we struggle with as filmmakers forever. But, you know, sometimes it hurts more than, than, um, than others. And yeah, yeah, being alone sucks sometimes, you know. I think the Spear Machine... For me, the reason that that one, that movie hurts so much is because I think that I went into it to prove to myself and to everyone else that I was special and be like, I am special. Like for my whole life, I'm, I, I thought that I was kind of different than everyone else and that I was going to be a great filmmaker and to go into that film and thinking that and then come out on the other end and realize you know what, I'm just pretty average and probably and definitely not as good as I thought that I was. I think that that hurt a lot. 
<laughs> and so I, I, it's like a weird thing for me to say, but it's like, that's the honest thing is like, wow. I really did like all through, like when I was growing up, like I'm sure a lot of people feel this way too, is it's a lot easier to kind of um, be that guy that does something that no one else is doing. And like, I, I felt like grades came pretty easily to me. I was often the teacher's pet. I was the only one making movies. So any movie that I made was like, everyone's like, that's so cool. You make movies. So it was like pretty easy to, to excel and exceed above everyone else. But filmmaking has been like the one thing in my life that I haven't been able to excel at. And so I think that I was like, I'm, you know, so convinced that I have that in me and I'm capable of it. And so the spirit machine was like, I'm going to put all my chips in. I'm going to go prove to everyone that I can do it. And then when I couldn't, like, that not only discouraged me, but it also kind of bruised my ego. Like, oh my God, I'm not special. Like, I'm not going to be the Steven Spielberg guy. I'm not going to be Quentin Tarantino. I'm just Timothy Plain, like a guy that might just, make little indie movies that no one really cares about that sucks <laughs> you know and that's like also uh, part we can't of, we can't hold ourselves up to those standards i mean no I've i know there. and that's it's this just... podcast has definitely opened my eyes to that but that's definitely like where that i think that feeling comes from and i'm i'm obviously still not over that hurdle even though you know i we've come to that place in the podcast where it's like we can't define success as having to be one of those guys in order to be successful but it does like it was like kind of a shock to me that i i wasn't that person well, I think we are all different and we all have our own unique things that are going on within us, you know, and I think as filmmakers, it's like, that's our opportunity to let that out. And I think it's really hard to let that whatever it is inside of you and it's different for every person, but like letting that special thing out is really hard. And I think um, putting more pressure on you, I think it makes it harder to let that thing out. So that's why it's like, you know, it seems like the best way to go into any movie is just to try to like focus on the movie and not worry about it as like being a great thing or like right. proving to somebody or any of these You got to get things. your ego out of the way. Yeah. Cause cause, I feel like the yeah. best experiences for me are when my ego is not in the way. But I think, I think the spirit machine was all ego. And I think that's why it hurts way more than any of my well, other films. It because, makes sense because you, you raised $90,000 plus yeah. for it or whatever. I mean, that's going to build your ego up, you know? <laughs> I mean, even yeah. even sitting in a meeting with somebody and like over this last week and, and them saying nice things about your work, it's like you build your ego up. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, this company loves me. Oh, I'm going to make it. And it's like you got to remember, like, they're just saying nice things. Like everyone says nice things. It's like you know, actions are what, you know, actually make a difference. So like, you know, you, you can't get too excited about anything anyone says. You have to just wait until like things happen. And then when things are happening, then you can get excited. I mean, it's not, it's not wrong to be excited, but you just, I think you gotta take everything with a grain of salt. You, know? <laughs> you gotta temper it. I know, but yeah, I've been there, but yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. I mean, uh, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know. It's funny because like when I was going into my movie that I made the same time as you, it was more like, can I even do this? That was the question. It was like, <laughs> can I do this? Yeah. And do I want to do this? And yeah. like, do I want to keep on doing this? And this is the it's test. About the pro it was more about the process it, of it. And it was to see like, do I actually want to direct movies? Like, am I actually going to make a feature? Like, is this going to be a fun experience for me? Like, am I going to have something at the end that's 
that's any good that people are going to want to watch. And it was like, if all the answers to those questions are yes, then I'll, then I'll make more movies, you know? And it was pretty, pretty soon after I made it, even before it screened, I was like already feeling yes. And then when, you know, after, <laughs> I mean, up, up and down, right. During the, the festival screenings and stuff. But by the end of the festival run, I was pretty confident that it was something I wanted to, you know, I was like, yeah, I want to keep on doing this. And then when the movie came out and it got like pretty good hits, like I think at the time I thought that was bad, but like now I realize that it was actually very good. Um, yeah, it just was like, okay, keep on going. But yeah, I think, you know, for me at least it was all age. Like as soon as I was like 28 or 27 and I hadn't made a movie yet or a feature film, I was like, yeah, I'm I know I'm not a Quentin Tarantino. I know I'm not a Spielberg. I know I'm not a Johnny a Robert Rodriguez or a Sam Raimi because those guys all guys were already way way far more successful than me by by that age. And it's like, you know, you're somebody else. You're your own person, and that's fine. You know. Yeah. And well, well what it, helped me this week? Because I, I mean, seeing those screenings kind of ripped the scab off of the you know the pain that i had of making that movie and so kind right. of to repair it right i had to kind of remind myself like how far i've come and so what helped was comparing the spirit machine not to something that i did you know recently or in you know last two or three years but 10 years ago so i made a page on my website that and not only for me but also for you guys it's at timothyplane.com slash 10 years later to compare like Something I made 10 years ago to something that I made now, both on the short film side and the commercial side, just to show myself like all those little baby steps that I took over the last 10 years did add up to something. Yeah, maybe I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I did come really, really far. And I think to like take it over 10 years is uh, much more eye opening than, you know, just in two or three years, like since the podcast started. Because I think it's really hard to see your growth when you're just growing a little bit at a time. Right. It's kind of like looking in the mirror every day. You don't see how you're getting older until you like really compare pictures from a long time ago. Yeah. I think you're just, you're really down on the spirit machine right now. And I think it's not really fair to yourself to be so down on it. Cause I just went on to CG Bros and you almost have 60,000 hits on a 20 minute ish short. Like that's pretty damn good. (laughs) And I know a lot of people have way more. But, like, you have a lot of great positive comments and people loving the movie. I mean, you know, there's always going to be the negative comments within those, you know. But, you know, just you you can see the audience that you're connecting with. And I think you don't lose sight of that. And don't think, like, oh, well, it's got 60,000 hits because that that YouTube channel has millions of subscribers or whatever. You know, (laughs) like, it's for your movie. Like, there are plenty of movies on CG Bros that don't get more than, like, 10,000 hits. Like, Brother's one of them. Brother only got like 7,000. So, I mean, you know, I just think that you need to, you know, look at all the good things around that movie. And I know it's really hard right now, but, um, it, you know, I'll get there eventually. it's not it a failure in the way that you talk about it. And I think, <laughs> think yeah. that stuff is damaging too. Like if, if you talk about it in that way, it, it makes it more that thing. But like, I think, no, you just, I know, you I know. know. I think it's what I got the message that I want to send out to people is like, you can go out and try to plant your uh, flag in the sand and say, this is me and this is what I stand for and and not achieve it, but still go on. Like I've made that movie. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. It didn't lead to agents knocking down my door, a huge Hollywood deal or anything that I thought it might lead to, but my career's not over. It didn't ruin me. 
people still want to work with me. I'm getting more work now than I ever have. Yeah. And, and I was getting more work just by nature of pursuing the spirit machine because I think it was impressive to people that I went out and like put all my chips on the table regardless of how it turned out. So right. I think it's worth, it was definitely worth it and I'm going to be stronger as a result. I just, it, I'm having a hard time saying uh, I guess I'm having a hard time finding the lessons in it and I'm having an easier time just saying it's a failure and beating myself self up over it. Yeah. So I just need to distance myself from that movie. It's like a bad girlfriend. I just need to like not talk to her for a while. Right. And then move <laughs> past her, find another girlfriend, and then eventually I can probably appreciate, you know, her place in my life. Right. I really do feel like it's like a bad girlfriend. Like I've had a few <sighs> really bad girlfriends that have like broken my heart and the spirit machine is one of those. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I think you're also just not really giving yourself enough credit for all the amazing. I mean, you are, you have talked about it a little bit today, which is really great to hear that you're like appreciative of it. But I mean, you yeah, you directed a lot of amazing things this year, and you know, grew to a place as a director that a lot of directors never reach. You know, and working with brands that directors would kill to work with. You know, and making really cool like not just working with brands, but like making cool, interesting spots that have stories to them. And are like in the wheelhouse of what you want to do as a, as a director and a filmmaker. And it's like, it's like really impressive. And, you know, I'm just sitting here like a schlub, like thinking like, oh my God, Timothy's killing it. Where's my shit? You know? And that's part <laughs> of the reason why I'm like coming out of AFM and trying to like completely like rebrand myself, you know, and change the way that I'm operating because it's not like it's not working what I'm doing. It's just... I, I understand that um, what I'm trying to get to, I need to, I need to do things differently and I need to change my approach a little bit and it's okay. Like I always, I think I get really, you know, talking about ego, I get really um, into my idea of what I should be doing with my career and like, you know, people will give you this advice and that advice, like whether it be like how to brand yourself on a website or the kind of work that you'd focus on or whatever. And I've always just done whatever I wanted to do because that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I think now it's like, I'm trying to listen to the advice a little bit more and be like, okay, if you want to be a director, you need to do these various things. And it's just obvious things like directors direct, they don't produce movies. Um, you know, directors have <laughs> yeah. websites that look like directors websites that don't look like production <laughs> company websites. It's like just right. stupid lobbyist things, but it's like, I've always fought against that for some reason. And um, now I'm just like, okay, get get your sh shit together, bro. Like, let's just if you're gonna do this, do it the right way, you know. So you're gonna make a new website just for you as a director? Yeah. So I think what I'm gonna do is um, keep my Brussel Productions domain, and then um, but make a new website and a new domain called AlricBrussel.com. Um, the, 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 the peanut gallery has spoken. I asked all directs versus all Brussel.com and Facebook has clearly said that all .com is the better choice. So I'm going to do that. And then, um, I think I like the sound of that better. I mean, talk about ego again, <laughs> just, <laughs> my full name. It just sounds cleaner than all directs is I think all directs is a little like, I don't know. I mean, it, it's clear, but I think it's also like a little like whatever, but all com <laughs> is like, okay, that's that person. All right. Right. Um, right. and then, and then, yeah. And so then, you know, I'm not, I just made these new beautiful business cards that everyone's giving me lots of compliments on, which I really like, but, um, you know, they say Brussel productions on it. So I'm going to have 
yeah, that domain link to my new, my new website. Um, and then, um, and then start like, you know, kind of putting all out in the world more. And then when I do my new business cards, whenever that is, I'll, I'll have that website be on there instead. Um, and then I'll probably just have a, like, like I do now, I'll probably just have a little section in the corner of my website for my corporate stuff, just like kind of hidden. And I might even not even have it listed on the page. It might just be like a URL I send to people, um, that's separate that, so they can see my corporate work. Um, so cool. that's one of my projects. Um, yeah. so that's outward facing, but what are you doing as a, as I guess as on the business side, are you going to turn down producing jobs? And- oh no. Cause I need to make money. Like I'm still going to work professionally as a producer. Like I think that's totally fine. And I mean, I, I wish I was so um, lucky and, you know, to, to be able to not have to work or that I had directing opportunities that were paying me that I could just jump into, even if they were paying very little. Like I, gosh, if someone was going to pay me like, like, you know, $10 an hour to direct, like I would totally do that, you know? Um, but I don't really have any paid directing opportunities as of now, which is a bummer, but that's part of what I'm, I need to do, you know, to, to help hopefully change that. So like, not only, do I want to direct a, another short film while I'm raising money for these other features and while those are getting off the ground? Um, but I want to do like a more commercially type project, like something that I could use to um, sell myself as a commercial director so I can start getting that going because I, I re- realized yeah. that if I'm going to be a director, I have to do commercials. Like I can't just do narratives. Like that's just, I mean, there's, there's, you know, a couple people do that in the world, but um if I'm going to be a sustainable director, I have to do commercials and I need to, I can't just like wait for it to fall into my lap. I have to be proactive if it's going to ever happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I do want to, if there's anyone out there that's making a living as a feature film director, that's not in the studio system. We want to talk to you because I feel like over the 127 episodes of this, we still have yet to find a director that's making a living as a director without having to do commercial work. And if they, if those people exist, I want to find out how they're doing. Yeah, I, I know this one guy, and it's you know he might not like me saying this. Um, and I, I, he doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's it's fine. But uh, <laughs> there's a local producer who owns a production company called Wonderful Productions. His name is um, Phil Gorn, and he's also a working director too. But I th- I'm pretty sure he only does narrative. And so he directed a movie last summer in San Francisco uh, starring Lou Frigno. And, you know, he he produces a bunch of movies a year, too. And then he also co- acquires movies. So talking about the Roger Corman of the Bay Area, he is the Roger Corman of, of the Bay Area. He already is. Like, you should just go to, we'll put his website up. You'll see all the movies he has. It's all, you know, genre, action, horror, sci-fi. It's, it's all that stuff. And he, you know, he's based in San Francisco. So That's cool. So, yeah, I can't believe up. it took me this long to, to like, correct that because... You know, we already have one. I can't be that because he already exists. Um, oh, and he's a nice guy. I met with him while I was in AFM. So uh, yeah. if you do are listening, Phil, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Phil? Well, we've talked a lot about ourselves. Should we move on to some topics? Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? We, well, you know, you're going to ask me about moving to LA, but we can talk about that later if you want. Yeah. Save it for another another day. I feel like we just talked about that last week, so I'm going to give yeah. you some time to to mull it over. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll come back to it. Like in <laughs> in like a month, I'm really curious to hear after you get some distance from AFM and that right. experience. 
where's your head at? Because well, I already have grow. a lot to say about it, but um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, we can talk about it later. Well, why don't we make it a topic? Let's make a topic of should you move to LA? Because we, we've talked about this early on in the podcast, but we haven't revisited it. We've talked to a lot of guests. Um, some have encouraged us to move to LA. You were just in LA and you've talked to a lot of people and you asked their advice. Right. What did they tell you? Um, 90% of them told me to move to LA. Um, and then one person, um, said not to, and actually that they were, (laughs) that they were thinking about moving back to the Bay area to make more stuff. And, but I think that advice was like very personal and, um, from somebody who, you know, had a certain experience in that city and he'd been there for a long time. Hassan, I'm sorry. I'm going to call you up, bro. It was Hassan. Um, (laughs) he was saying, yeah, he's pretty down in LA. I see his Facebook posts all the time. Yeah, he's just, I think he's ready for something different. And um, for whatever reason, LA didn't yield the results he was hoping for, I think. And, uh, you know, I just, I kind of feel like just by these three visits, I can already see my network forming out there. Like I already see the people that would be my friends, or I mean, they're my friends now, but the people I would hang out with while I was there. And then I'm starting to see how that city I would interact with that city and um you know like I think it would it seems like it would work out like I'm starting to see how it would work out if I was to move down there and I don't have all the questions answered you know about like how I'd pay my rent or or whatever but I'm starting to see how I fit into that city when and I hadn't ever really seen that before I always just was like I'll move to LA and see what happens right but like now it's like oh I can move to LA and then you know I talk to this person talk to that person I do this I do that I'll start to check this out you have a plan in place yeah. But is this um, also a, a result of the podcast? Because it sounds like a lot of the people you met oh, yeah. were like people we met through the podcast. Oh, yeah. Hugely. I mean, That's I so would funny, say right? like maybe more than 50% of, <laughs> of the people that I know in LA are from the podcast, which is really wonderful yeah. that we're connecting with people out there. Um, Everyone should start a podcast. I don't know. Well, if you want to. Um, there's room for <laughs> It's a lot of work, them. though. Yeah. It's a lot I mean, of work. I think it's long as you have something that's you know, that you want to talk about every every week, which I mean we struggle with, but I think you know great guests is what's kept us going, and I think changes in our lives too make make the podcast interesting. But anyways, yeah, so I come home and talk to my wife Beth, and I say, hey, like let's think about this, like maybe we'll just do a trip. And just see, like, what you think of it. Like, you know, we've never gone on a vacation there, really. Let's just go to L.A. and see what we think. And she's like, well, you really want to move to L.A., blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, pushing all the regular pushback. And then one day, like, I don't know, overnight almost, she's like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's move to L.A. And I'm like, what? (laughs) No. (laughs) She's like, yeah, let's just do it. I was like, but don't we want to do a trip first? And don't we want to think and whatever? And she's like, no, no, let's just... Who cares? Like, it's going to be great. Let's just go. It'll be really fun. Let's just move. Let's just see, figure it out. And now I'm like, well, well hold on, hold on. <laughs> I was just saying, let's just explore it. Down, let's it, explore it. Like, we don't have to go, right? Like, right away. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's still lots of things I want to do in the Bay Area first. And then now it's like, suddenly I'm the one who's arguing against moving to LA. That's so all funny. of a sudden. And it's like, now she's all gung ho. And, you know, it's so funny, like the this flip that switched in her brain. She just was like, "Yeah, like you know, I was like all these negative things and all these reasons why I didn't want to go, but now I'm like, you know, do I want to live in one place forever? I've been here eight years. Like, 
you know, we're like in our thirties, like we're still a young couple. Like we should go out and see the world and explore different things. And if we don't like it, we can always go back or go somewhere else. Like, it's not like, Oh, it doesn't have to be this big thing. Like we should just do it. It'll be really fun. Let's like, let's try something new. And I was like, Oh my God, like what the hell? It's <laughs> crazy. Is part of it for you like holding on to, because since the beginning of the podcast, you've been all about like Bay area filmmaking do you feel like you'd be abandoning your people yeah, by going there? That's part of it. And I think also I've always had her to, to um, you know, to lay the blame on why I don't move to L.A. I could always just blame Beth. Be like, oh, my wife doesn't want to go. And now it's me. Now I have to own up that if, if we don't go, it's because of me. And yeah, um, maybe she called your bluff. Well, a little. She does this sometimes. Like, you know, I think she doesn't want to do something. And I'm like, oh, it's easy. Let's not do it. You don't want to do it. And then she's like, no, let's really do it. I'm like, oh, gosh, now I have to be the one who either says yes or no. But I don't know. I mean, we're still going to do a trip. We're still going to test it out. But I mean, yeah, it feels like it's almost, you know, just eventually at this point. Like, you know. Wow. Well, I'm glad we talked about it now because then in a month when we revisit it you might actually have made some decisions well i don't know we'll see but yeah i mean there's just a lot i want to do in the bay area first and i i kind of still am holding on to this idea that maybe i should direct my first feature before i move just because well it'd be fun and i think moving to a new city with something big under your belt like that i think especially a city like la i think would be helpful because you'd have like something cool to talk about or like even if it's not done it's just like oh i just shot up my first feature i'm in post on it right now it's really cool i can't wait to show you the trailer when it's done you know like just having something cool to talk about i think would be really fun um but also like just knowing that i might be leaving soon it's like okay well let me do all the things that i can do here that i can't really do in los angeles like you know, making really cool projects, you know, for really low, little amount of money, you know? Um, so like, that's why I want to do like, you know, one like regular short and then one like commercial short, because, you know, I know how to produce something like that for no money, you know, or next to no money. And I already have some ideas and some things that I've been thinking about for a long time and even a location that kind of that that like six years ago agreed to let me shoot there. But then I haven't really revisited it in, in that six years. So, I mean, I just think there's a couple of things that I could do, just make some movies and do them kind of like cake style, but like a little bit bigger, like, you know, do them, you know, in the thousand dollar range rather than the hundred dollar range and bring some really cool people together to do it. So I think that's sort of where my head's at now is just like, yeah, let's, I'm going to create, I'm going to create as much as I can um, while I'm here. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that if I, if I move to LA or when I move to LA, I should say like, I'm, that I'm not going to come back to the Bay area. I'm still going to come back here and still work. And I, I hope to be able to still work with Capital Art Creative and stuff and be still be a part of that team, even though I don't live here. Because I have, you know, so many friends that live here and I can always come back for a project and I can stay at my brother's house for extended periods. I got a million friends I could stay with. So yeah, I, I don't want to change. LA is very close. It's the yeah. thing that we've been saying about living in the Bay Area and working in the LA applies the other way around too. Right. And I know that Capital Art has like ambitions to do more in LA, you know? And so it might even be beneficial to the company in some way that I'm out there. I think so. So I don't know. I mean, I just think it's it's kind of exciting that Beth's got me all excited about it now. I mean, not that I wasn't excited about it before because like I was having so much fun in Los Angeles, but now she's all... Now that she's excited about it, it's like, I'm excited about it. It's like this exciting thing that we're going to do and really fun adventure that we're going to take together. Um, 
And I mean, we're still going to do the trip. And I mean, there's still a chance that we go down there and that she hates it. But I almost don't think so. Cause like 90% of the things that Beth likes to do involve the couch and our TV. <laughs> so yeah. I think as long as we have restaurants and a movie theater nearby and some shops that she can walk around, I think she'll be totally fine. <laughs> yeah. So, so LA is perfect then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, everyone's going to be like, you idiot. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, I you think it's so long that you were never going to do this. I think this you'll find and, people are very supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know like even just sit talking nice about LA on the last podcast, um, I've got a lot, a lot of reach out from listeners and from people who are saying, I love it. Oh my gosh. You're finally saying shooting in LA. Oh my gosh. You're such a hypocrite, but I love it. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, you got to do what the advice tells you to do, you know? And mm-hmm. logically that makes sense for the actor thing, you know? Right. Anyway. So I don't know. What do you think of this? Am I insane? Like what, what's going on? What do you, what's your reaction? I think no, I think you gotta you gotta follow what your heart says, and if your heart says I'm gonna have a easier time getting the movie made the way I want it to be made by living in L.A., then you should definitely go to L.A. If your heart says, you know what, I know L.A. is a better place, but I still want to just carve my way out in the Bay Area, then stay in the Bay Area. I think you can make it happen anywhere you are. I think our message stays the same, and so I don't think you're a hypocrite if you do move down there. I think you're just following your heart. Right. I mean, I'm not saying it's like, you know, I think I believe in that. Like you can do it anywhere. I don't think you need to be in Los Angeles or New York or anywhere to make movies. But I just think that, you know, maybe I'm also coming terms with the idea that I want to be a working director, that I don't want to just be a hobbyist, you know, and, um, or an artist, you know, is a nicer way of saying that. Um, so and I and I don't want my career to be based around commercials and corporate video. Like I want it to be based around narrative. So I think like if knowing those things, the only answer is to move to Los Angeles. Really, if 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 I'm really coming ter- to terms with that thing, and I'm, and I'm changing my tune from, oh, I'll just make movies however I can, and that's fine. I don't care if they're successful or not. And then you're coming back to being like, well, I would actually like to be able to get paid to direct movies and pay <laughs> to direct things and that that could be my main source of income. Right. It's like, well, happen in the Bay Area. no, especially not for me, because I don't have I don't have the drive for commercials that, um, you know, you have or a lot of other people I know have who have been successful here in that, you know, and I think, you know, not to say that. I'm going to need less drive in LA. I'm going to need even need more drive to be successful in LA. But I just feel like, you know, I can also be pursuing the the narrative stuff in a way there that I can't hear. And I think going hand in, they'll go hand in hand, in hand to, together in Los Angeles in a way that they wouldn't hear necessarily. Um, but again, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll move there and then I'll be, you know, crying about it the whole time and, I'll be looking for an apartment in Oakland that's like three times as expensive in two to three years. <laughs> Who knows? But well, you, you won't know until you try it. Yeah. I, I always encourage people just to try things out because, yeah, you don't know until you've actually done it. So you can sit here and you can think, oh, L.A. is not the place for me. But until you actually live there and try it, you really don't know. So, yeah. yeah, I think you should do it. Well, I'm not saying it's not an official announcement that I'm moving to L.A. or anything, but it's like, and you know, I'm definitely thinking about it. And I think next year at some point it'll probably happen, but who knows when, you know? Um, and 
you know, but, but yeah, but it's definitely on the radar in, in a major way that it's actually never been before because me and, and Beth are both in agreement on it. <laughs> it's just yeah. never been the case. It's either it's like amazing. I'm waffling or she's waffling or, or, or no, well, she's never wanted to go. It's either that I'm like thinking about it or not thinking about it is really. Yeah. yeah. Well, everyone should now go back and listen to our, should you live in Los Angeles episode and compare with how Ulrich is talking about it now. Yeah, or the Just Shoot It crossover, which, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's so funny. I think in that a lot just of... just earlier this year. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, um, yeah, you know, you you know, it's all this whole Bay Area thing and, like, want to have Bay Area pride and, and San Francisco pride and Oakland pride and, and pride in our filmmakers and our community of, of, of artists and people here that are talented and that we can... We're really doing great things here, too. And that, and that doesn't... That's not changing or anything. I just think that's sort of where I was coming from with all of my objections to it, you know? And I think in a lot of ways, I was like, no, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to. Like, kind of fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. Like, fighting someone feeding me spinach, you know? Or right, fighting, trying to convince yourself. Yeah, like, trying to be like, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way. No, there's other ways. And, like... Yeah, but, you know, just kind of fighting the inevitable truth in, in some way. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that sounds worse to say it that way. But <laughs> No, but yeah, let us know as this develops. I'm, I'm glad we talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll see. I mean, maybe in a month I'll be like, nah, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. You'll talk to somebody in the Bay Area that'll convince you to stay here. Yeah, or I'll have Richard a miserable Bosner. time or something else will happen or like one of these production companies will get back to me and they'll be like, we're going to make the alternate. Oh, we love it. Let's do it. Actually, just I just sent um, my stuff to a production company and they immediately responded, which is very different than uh, some of the other production companies that I sent stuff to who yeah. have yet to respond to me after requesting <laughs> my script, um, which say? I... Which I've learned. I I, I, I uh, asked a bunch of working directors in L.A. if that's normal, and people said yes, that is normal. People will sometimes never ever respond to your email when when after requesting your script and you send it to them, and then three months later you might hear something, or maybe they someone told me a story of like, yeah, I sent a script to one production company, and then like three months later somebody I didn't know emailed me about this project that they had gotten from this person that I met with. And it's like, you know, things like that will happen. So I'm not, I'm just, I've, I've completely changed my, my emotional response to that. So like now that when I have meetings and, and they go well and people request my materials, I have no expectation for response, but to get one really quick, um, from somebody that's, uh, that's exciting. So what they say? What was a quick response? Yeah. We love it. We're going to give you $10 million. No, it was just like, we'll take a look as soon as we can. Thanks for sending it over. Like, oh, cool. Like that, but that's like better. I mean, you know, like I had an amazing meeting with these two, you know, executives at a company and like, you know, I said, thanks for the meeting and here's my materials and like no response. And then I right. got nervous and I sent another one, like, make sure, just making sure you got it. And then no response. So now I just sound like an idiot right. to those guys. But, right. um, and I think they, I don't know, they said they heard it. It's funny, in that meeting, that my first general meeting, they were like, yeah, one of them was like, yeah, I, I've actually heard of, I've heard of that podcast of Making Movies is Hard. Yeah, it's on my list of of, episodes, of things to listen to. I was like, oh my God, you've heard of my podcast? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, please don't listen not, to it. Not you. <laughs> and you're going to see how neurotic and weird I am. I oh man. 
it's weird because the people we're working with at Capital Art listen to it. I know. Uh, I love it. It makes makes me feel uncomfortable. They say nice things, though. I mean, I haven't actually talked to Michael much about it, but Ed says really nice things. Hey, Ed. Thanks for listening. Hey, Donovan. Thanks for listening. You're the best, Ed. Um, (laughs) I know that he's loving all this L.A. talk. It's probably making him really excited. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I texted him about L.A., Oh, yeah, because he texted me. He's like, listening to the new episode of the podcast, loving that you guys are talking about moving to L.A. You should do it. And I'm like, I wasn't talking about it. I'm not even thinking about it right now. But he's like, you should move to L.A. He's like, don't, like, lo- like, don't let me yeah. in with Ulrich. Ulrich's insane. <laughs> I yeah, got so my he's he's very on. encouraging of moving to L.A. Yeah, well, as long as he still yeah. lets me work with his company, then uh, yes. I think he will. <laughs> I think so, too. I hope so. So as much as I'm dying to talk about Facebook ads, I don't think we have time for it. So we'll have to save it for another episode. And it might okay. actually be like a whole episode. But I, I'll just say like to set it up as like kind of a teaser for later on. Yeah. I, I did some Facebook advertising this week, just, just out of curiosity because we were talking to, to Liz and Jess at Sundance and then who else? Oh, I know I think talked a little bit about like niche marketing and like finding like a niche audience. So I was like, I'm going to just go on Facebook advertising, try it out. And just so I kind of understand a little bit more about how it works. And I did, I mean, just doing it, helped out a lot. I, I I spent $30 to promote one episode of the podcast and then the spirit machine on YouTube. So I want to share with you guys all my findings on that. And then also go into Facebook ads with Ulrich and just make an ad together on the podcast. So we can just talk about like all the different options there are in it and just, yeah, just figure it out together. Cause I think that once you've played around with it, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, um, it's funny because I've done Facebook ads before, and I don't really understand at all how it works. <laughs> I just, I just pay funny. the money, see that I get a lot of hits on the thing, and then I like, eh, I hope that helped the hope the movie. I hope I got some viewers out of that. Yeah, you know. But well, we'll go in and break it down. Nice. One thing I do want to get to today is uh, an email we got from Tariq Taleb. Oh yeah. Do you remember this? Oh, of course. I responded. To, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. So um, he says. Awesome podcast, guys. Seriously, the best out there related to filmmaking. No nonsense. I know you guys are busy, but if you ever had time to answer me about the following, there's a new certain type of filmmakers I see emerging lately, such as Gareth Edwards and many others, who started by mainly doing everything from writing to visual effects. Is this what it takes lately to even be considered or noticed? Yes. What do you think? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, um, I can tell you what I how I answered him, basically. I, I just said that, like, I don't know. Like, I think it's very helpful. Like, the more things you can do on your own, the better, because it just saves you money. But I think as a filmmaker, producer, director, you know, because in our world, you're, you're, to be honest, like, if you're a director directing, even if you have a producer to come help you, you're going to be a producer, too, because... You know, no, no one's doing this stuff for you, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically up to you to like convince people to do it. So if like you can't do it yourself and you don't know how to do that stuff, it's, you got to find people who can do it, you know, and are willing to work for you with, with you for like next to nothing or for free, you know? So I don't think it's really about like having to have all those skills. I just think it's being able to like be resourceful and get those things done for nothing or next to nothing. If you, you know, just because 
that's what it takes. Like no one's getting paid full rate for any, anything. And I mean, you know, Gareth Edwards, like, geez, I think he spent like a year and a half or something on his post-production for, uh, or visual effects for his movie, for his first movie. And it's just like, or whatever that movie was, the monsters. monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he, if he didn't, couldn't do it himself or he didn't have a friend to do it for him, he would never have been able, able to afford to do that. So it's like, I think you just need to either have the relationships or you have to, or if you know how to do it even better, you know? So are you saying kind of that it's out of necessity that some of these people are doing what they do? Uh, like it's not that Gareth Edwards made a conscious decision. Like I got to learn visual effects cause I want to make visual effects movies. He probably just liked it. He's probably Actually, just... that's what that was his job. Like if you listen to, he did a South by Southwest keynote this year, I think, mm. which is really good. Everyone should go watch it. Cause he talks about, how he got from monsters to star wars and it is he was a frustrated visual effects artist and i think he was doing a lot of stuff for like i want to say like nat geo documentary things mm. and he was trying to get permission to make his movie and no one would give him a shot because they're like you're not a director you're a visual effects artist and so out of necessity he had to go figure out how to do it himself yeah and i feel like these stories aren't new. I mean, you can go back in time really far and find people that knew how to do a lot of different things. We always bring up Robert Rodriguez, who's like a perfect example of an indie filmmaker that did everything and then and that succeeded. And then you can go all the way back to Stanley Kubrick, who was a writer, a cinematographer, a director. He got a start with photography. So I think that it's not really new. I don't think we're seeing any change in the industry, but I do think that the people you see from the indie film level that succeed are those kind of people because I think they're just the ones that figure out how to get it done and how to make quality stuff with very little money. And so I think it's just kind of just by nature of how the system works. If you're in the system, like growing up in the system and you're like kind of going through the apprenticeship in like studios, you're probably not going to have that same kind of experience because you're going to grow into the job that you want to do. You don't have to really prove yourself the same way that an indie filmmaker does, you know, out the gate. So that's right. kind of why right. I think it looks like a lot of these indie filmmakers can do everything. Cause I think they just out of necessity have to. Yeah. I mean, we're both examples of that. We both edit, we both produce, we both mm -hmm. direct, you know, like we're we doing just had to figure it out a bunch of different things, but yeah, I wish I could draw. Like, James Cameron's an amazing artist, you know? And, like, mm -hmm. I think that's helped him a lot in his career. And he's also very technical. Like, you know, he does... He started out doing visual effects for... Um, what's his butt? Corman? Yeah, Roger yeah. Corman. Yeah, so, you know, I think having those extra abilities are just going to help you in your, in your journey, you know? Um, but I don't think you have to do everything. And I think it's... Um, you know, it's fine. I was talking to a really young guy um, on this job, um, Griffin, who I don't, who I don't think listens to the podcast or anything. But you know, he was talking about how, like, you know, like, oh yeah, directors always shoot too. Like, directors are always operating. Like, they always every every director I've ever seen has always operated at least one shot. And I was like trying to, like, be like, well, that's really you like Woody Allen certain... is operating shot. No, no absolutely not. <laughs> I think most directors don't operate. It's just there's a few that do, and they're the ones who are more famous. Like he he cited James Cameron, like you know mm -hmm. whatever, like and David Fincher, Robert Rodriguez, Steven you know Spielberg, um, you know Steven Soderbergh. Um, but 
Yeah. This deal, the Spielberg operate camera. Yeah, I went in that documentary that's on HBO. They're talking about how he was on the set of Brian De Palma's Scarface during that big shootout scene at the end, mm. and he was operating one of the camera units. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, so it's like that's so cool. Like those guys all like just hung out together and like made movies, and they were like on each other's sets. Yeah, what a I cool set to be on. I mean, yeah, very right? iconic. Um, yeah, well, you know, I just don't, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is I don't think you have to do any of those things. And I mean, you, I think there's plenty of non-technical directors that are amazing, you know, but I think you, you use every trick you can't, you, you have, you use every little thing that's going to give you an advantage because it's so difficult to make movies and it's really hard for funding and for, you know, getting people to, you know, join your team. I mean, you know, it gets easier the more people you know, but I, especially if you're not from a technical background or from a crew sort of sort of world, it can be hard to get people to want to jump on your project. So I think you got to use every tr- trick, every you know tool, every skill. So you know, if you're young, you should develop these skills. Why not? Like jump and learn After Effects, learn. Maya, you know, learn all these projects, these, these things that will help you, you know, or, or find the thing that you are most excited about that's also going to help you in your career and learn that. Like if it's drawing, learn how to draw. If it's music, you learn how to compose music so you can make your own soundtracks. Like just find the thing that, you know, find things that you like to do anyways and then just do those things and then apply them to your movie, you know. That's what my advice right. would be. And I'll make you the filmmaker that you are. Like you look at right. Tim Burton who started out as a Disney cartoonist and you can see like his illustration style always makes it into his movies. And that's unique to Tim Burton or a James Cameron with his visual effects background. And like the way he designs certain robots and things is a very James Cameron thing. Like his movies are always going to have that certain element of style that others don't. So I think... For me, it's like um, the more you understand about the technology, the better you're going to be to communicate with your crew. Like there's I have my technical expertise when it comes to cameras is very limited. Cameras and lighting, I would say, is very limited. So I have a hard time sometimes knowing how to tell my crew members how to change something all i can say is like it doesn't look right something's wrong i don't know what it is but i'm not it's not feeling the way i want it to be i do a lot of feeling talk so uh if i understood more about the technical aspects i could probably say i think what it is is this light or it's the the lens that we have on it or you know just say something say offer some sort of solution but when i don't know anything i'm just like i don't know something feels weird i don't know what it is you could always just be like well the frame's too dark the frame's too light you know yeah those Um, those are easy things but when it's like something intangible um there was an example on the xfinity thing we just did where the camera was under the bed and it was facing these two girls that were out, you know, playing, playing around with each other. And there's something that I, that didn't feel right to me. And I, and I didn't know exactly what it was. Um, and somehow I stumbled my way to finding the solution and it was just adding more lights to it. But I didn't really know what it was that was bugging me. And I think if I was more technical, I probably could have figured it out faster. Mm, that's interesting and I'm probably if I was more technical I would have 
figured I would have avoided the problem in the first place because while we were on the tech scout, the DP and the gaffer were telling me exactly what they're going to do. And I just said, yeah, 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 sounds good because I didn't <laughs> understand what they're talking about. Right. Sure. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Here's my reference. Here's what I want. Yeah. Whatever you have, whatever light you guys need to make that happen. Cool. That's funny. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll include a link to that project in the show notes so people can see that scene. Um, it ended up looking really great in the final. So yeah, I liked how it whatever later. you did was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man I, I don't know you're like a real director man oh thanks <laughs> like, you're like making things that people are actually watching that people are are using to sell their products like i mean i don't know man i feel like gosh you know you you've you've sort of been talking about how you feel like you're not really moving forward or whatever whatever and i think you're just referencing like the film stuff like the narrative and it's like you're making leaps and bounds in the, as a commercial director and i think that's like you know, as valuable, if not more valuable, because all that stuff that you're learning, you can take into your next project. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just like, but now you're like making, you're making yourself more sustainable as a director, which is like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I want to keep it going, but I also want to be careful not to just direct to direct. Like I really like the position I'm in right now where I can be choosy. And I think that my reel is reflecting like how choosy I can be and that I'm really finding projects that do are in my wheelhouse i think if i start departing from that i'm going to be less happy and i'm gonna probably start veering off in a direction where you maybe i'll be sustainable financially but i won't be sustainable creatively and so i want to like keep the creative side of it alive and that might mean you know staying at the agency much longer than i ever wanted to but that's really important to me. You know, the money's less important to me and the creativity is more important to me. If that makes any sense. Right. No, I totally. kind of stumbled my way through that, but it makes sense in my head. Yeah. I think you're in a unique position where you can do that because you have a day job. You know? Yeah. Like I don't and, have to worry about where, yeah. where my money's coming from. Right. The just shoot it guys talk about all the time. Like they're, you know, bidding on jobs and stuff. And like some of the questions that they get, get asked are like, um, you know, why do you want this job? And like they're, they're, they're saying in their head, like, well, cause I want to, eat food and I want to put, you know, I want to provide for my family, but it's like, you can't, that can't be the answer. It has to be something more personal. And they, they always, obviously they're really smart. They have like great things to say to those in the, they find it within the project, but yeah, it's like, you're, you're in a special place where you're like, Oh yeah, I don't, mm, I don't want Adobe blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Let's not do that. I don't need to do that. Whatever. You could just like find the project that like, and like makes you excited and what you makes you want to put all the effort into trying to get the job, you know? Yeah. 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 Because I feel like on the commercial end and I've seen this happen with directors where they do some really good work and then you can tell that they start taking jobs just for the money and the work declines and then people stop wanting to work with them. So I think like at least half of a commercial director's job is just having good sensibilities and choosing the best work because you're only judged based off of the work you choose. You know, no one's right. looking at your reel and going, well, you know, the the script wasn't that good, but you know, he directed a really good job. They're looking at the whole package. It's I think it's different in the in the narrative space. I think in the narrative space the distinction between some of the departments gets a little bit more separated out, but in the commercial world, especially with directors, you're really judged based off of the work that you choose. So I think you have to be careful if, when you're a commercial director. Make sure that you're not 
just choosing stuff for money because people see it and then your yeah. demand as a director goes down. Well, I mean, for for me as a person who wants to get like some sort of material on my reel that will make me, you know, be able to get a commercial job, like what advice do you have? Like, should I be trying to think of like a really cool like spec idea that's really going to like sing or should I come up with like a, a short film idea that's like, you know, under two minutes, like maybe a minute and a half that's like feels like very commercially, you know, like what what do you think I should be doing um, to, like, get into that world? Well, I think if you look at Plummer Strauss and what they did, they did a pretty good job of finding work based off of their spec jobs. And I think both of them were either, like, 30 seconds or 60-second branded commercials. Um, and they were, they were based off, like, one of them was a lotto commercial, and then one of them was for Converse. But the Converse one, you never, like, kind of questioned that it was for Converse. The right. lotto one, I don't remember if I saw it and I felt like, ah, uh, that's probably bullshit. The bigger the, the client is, the harder it is to make it feel like it actually happened. Mm. So I think it's like you kind of have to choose the right client to do a spec ad for because if you go too big, people are just going to look at it and be like, that's not a real ad. So you want, what about you just want making, kind of, go ahead. Yeah, I was like, what about just making something that isn't a spec, but it just like feels like a commercial, like kind of like what the um, the Perez brothers have been had done. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you should talk to the Perez brothers about that because we I've been trying to sell them as commercial directors for at least a year now, and I still haven't been able to get them a job. <laughs> right. So I don't know if it's really working out for them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just to me as a as a filmmaker, it just sounds more appealing than doing, mm-hmm. I guess, a spec. You know. Um, and then, yeah, and some of the advice I've been getting is like, don't do a spec, just like, you know, get your well, first that's what I've kind of job felt. as an agency producer. That's how I felt. Cause anytime that I've seen spec work on a director's reel, I've always been like, mm, no, but I'm also in like a different place than like a production company. Cause capital art is, is okay with it. It sounds, they feel like they can sell a director that has a spec piece on their reel. Because you're just you're proving yourself to a potential client that you can work in that format. So I think most importantly, it's to do something in the thirty sec thirty second mark is probably the best. Sixty second is like second best because that's how that's the length of most advertising. And uh, I've been in a lot of conversations on the agency side where you show a reel to a creative team, and if that person's only done kind of music videos and short films, they're always like. Well, have they done anything that's like 30 seconds long? Because we want to know that they can tell a story in 30 seconds. Because there's really famous directors that have tried to do ads that aren't good at it. Right. I think like I think I've seen commercials from like Martin Scorsese and like David Mamet that are just terrible because that they're not used <laughs> to working in the 30 second format. You know, right. it's, it's a very different skill than you know when you because I okay for instance I'm reading I'm reading a film book right now from a feature director and they're talking about kind of like moving the camera and long takes and stuff and as I'm reading I'm like I could never do this in the commercial world because you don't have the luxury of doing a long take. Like everything has to be like two to three seconds long. So to like have somebody walk in a room and the camera moves and then the blocking of the actors changes to like give you different angle, give it, give you different angles of the actors close up to mid shot to wide shot, just based on their blocking. You just wouldn't want to do that in commercials because 
that's just you know, you don't have the time for it. So like a feature film director that kind of works that way is going to have a hard time working at, in a 30 second format because they're going to lose that skill. You know, they can't use it. Right. So do you think I should make like a couple 30 second like short films that, that I could brand or like just. Yeah, you could definitely do that. Huh. The other thing is the other market out there right now. And I think kind of like the Jess Shooter guys are kind of doing this as like some branded like content. It's like longer form content that's branded. Right. Like I, there's a really good campaign that came out around Halloween from uh, the Mars company, like Skittles, M&M and I think Snickers, like each one of them had like a branded horror film that was like two minutes long. And I think that's also like another thing you could go after. It's like not necessarily commercial, you know, like typical 15 or 30 second spots, but it's like branded content. And I think there's more and more right. of that happening too. I don't, I have, our agency doesn't do that stuff. I think it's a lot more like direct to the client or through right. um, marketing agencies, but there is a market out there. I just, I don't really know much about it. Right. Well, here, here's the thing. Like, so I have that zombie versus drone short film, which is like, it essentially is branded content. Yeah. Right. It's like all for the drone. Um, and it even has a tag at the end. Um, so I don't know. I wonder if, uh, if that is useful, I, I should, um, I should, I'll, I'll attach it to, I mean, I'm sure I've put it on the show before, but I'll attach it to this episode. So, you know, anyone who's done lots of branded content work, tell me like, is that going to help me get branded work at all? Or is, that not what I need to be doing? Like, well, I don't know. I just want some <laughs> advice because like, I, yeah, I, I realize I have to make this part of my career if I'm going to be a director. And it's like, I, I want to make sure I'm making the right steps and going f after it, you know? Yeah. I would talk to production companies that are doing the kind of work that you would like to do and just ask them like, what do you look for in a director? Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, uh, it took me a long time to find a, a company that even wanted to sell me as a director. Right. Like I've just found it. Like you heard probably in the first year of the podcast in one of the first episodes, I was starting to meet with production companies and like showing them my reel and trying to, and talking to them about like, is there enough here for me to be a commercial director? Like what's the next steps? And right. I heard, I got a lot of no's and uh, it was really frustrating for a long time, but um, yeah, eventually you'll find somebody that wants to work with you, but it's not easy. That's like the yeah, hard part, I think. I mean, dude, your Cisco and Milk Spots alone, I think, is what separated that. Because I don't think you had those. I know you definitely didn't have the Milk one, and I'm pretty sure you didn't have the Cisco one when you were doing that originally. No, because the Milk one was a year ago, and the Cisco one was like two years ago, almost exactly at this point. So I think, yeah, it was like we started the podcast in like June or something so yeah. yeah so a few months before i had cisco so then i'd send like an update email like hey i just directed something but it was still just one piece and then you know like a year later i have something else you know slowly building that reel now i think my reel is looking pretty good it's badass man all the yeah. tostitos stuff and it, you know all the, the the apple xfinity thing it's like those are just incredible you know, just having those under your belt, I think, alone. But then you can go back to the Milk one and then go back to the Cisco one, too. It's just like now you have a breadth of work and you can see growth in it. So I think that's what people like, too, right? Yeah. Well, I have a, a lot farther to go. I'm not oh, done yeah. yet. We all do, right? We all yeah. do. Baby steps. Um, so uh, do you want to share anything or should we just get, get on out of here? Because it's like already over an hour. Yeah. I just wanted to remind people to go check out timothyplane.com slash 10 years later oh yeah 
I'll check it my out. My little web page, my my single web page with some work examples. And I, nice. oh, and I just want to set this up. Like the stuff that was from ten years ago is stuff that like I was producer, director, editor, cameraman. Like I did all the jobs, and um, in As one of them, do. in one of them, I act. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen but now. This. You have to see it. So oh it's kind of funny to go for like, and and these are also both projects that I did at the agency I currently work for, like as an employee of the agency. So it's like it's kind of like my first paid commercial work, um, you know, compared with the com- paid commercial work that I'm doing now. So it made me yeah. feel good to see it, you know, side by side, and just kind of see like how far I've come, and that I'm like not just doing stuff by myself anymore that I'm like working with crews and my skills are getting better and I'm getting smarter about where to place the camera and all That's that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, very cool. Can't wait to check it out. Um, should oh, yeah. you take us out? It's my turn to take us out. So thanks Man. everyone for listening. Check out our website, making movies is where you can find links to all the things we talked about in this episode. And if you want to get in contact with us, send us an email to podcast at making movies is or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH podcast. Thanks Ulrich for a great show. And Oh, yeah, and thanks thank everyone you. who's left us iTunes reviews around the world. Um, we were just told that there are different iTunes stores and I started checking some of them out and I found iTunes reviews from Canada, from the UK, from Australia. And so all those people, we have not read your iTunes reviews on the show. And if you're disappointed, it's just because we didn't know that they existed. So we'll start pulling those out and we'll (laughs) start reading them. I think there's like six or seven right now. So we're not going to do them all in one lump. We'll just kind of spread them out over episodes over, you know, the next month or two. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that that was going on. So that's really cool. So I feel bad. All these people are like, why aren't they reading my review? (laughs) Well, because we're Americans and we're really self-focused on ourselves. Yeah. Yep. Very, very absorbed. Um, (laughs) Self-absorbed. Exactly. All right. All right, dude. Have a good day. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks so much.